We're in Exodus chapter uh, 17 today, and we'll be finishing that chapter out, Lord willing, uh, verses 8 through 16. And uh, this is about a battle this time, another kind of test, but it's a different kind of test. It's not about water or food this time. It's about their lives in danger of the enemy. We're going to be starting reading at verse 8. Why don't we stand and read this text in honor of our Lord giving us this precious word. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek and from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mighty word. And as we look at this word today, may we truly get from it what you want us to get from it. To know the historical aspects and how you work in it, all the way to the point of how that works in our lives also. We thank you and guide us today in this. In Jesus' name, amen. So God tested the Israelites three times. They failed three times. God was very gracious. God was very merciful. He provided for the Israelites when they were thirsty. And when they were hungry, He provided for them. And then when they thirsted again, He provided for them. Every time. And not once do we see His anger arise at that time. They had complained and argued against Moses. They really confronted him. They were really confronting the Lord. And all this does is show us the great patience of the Lord. I mean, this is really something. In the book of Exodus, we see the very nature of God, don't we? That's what we want to look at, the very nature of God. Among His attributes manifested that we've seen, and there are probably many more, but I'll say patience, I'll say mercy, I'll say grace, power, sovereignty, justice, wrath, and we'll continue to see more of His great attributes being revealed as we open up more of this book of Exodus. And uh, we will get blessed as we study this. His name is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides, doesn't He? And we have certainly seen that. He's always providing for His people. On the journey, there are not only trials, but God is going to bring them battles that they're going to have to fight. So in this text today, it's another test. This time they get attacked from an enemy. So God is again going to show His power and He's going to show that they need to just trust in Him. There has to be obedience here. In a few short weeks of where they have come from, they have experienced much in this journey. Uh, of course, you can think of the Red Sea crossing and then the thirst that they had and then the hunger and then the thirst again. But God is wanting them to depend on Him. And now He is wanting to show that the battle is the Lord's. The pilgrims, they're pilgrims on a journey who have to turn into soldiers now. The pilgrims are soldiers and they must endure hardship. Now Paul 
wrote that to Timothy. Soldiers have to endure hardship. So it is with us today. We have struggles. We battle. We have our own deserts. We fight and we struggle. And the Lord is the captain. And we know that. And He appointed this battle for us. Which is even, I think, more significant. Knowing that He gives us the battles. He uses the enemy. The enemy really are pawns in his hand. Even Satan himself, as powerful as he is, is still a pawn in God's hand. He is no equal to God. He's a created being. But he uses him. And uh, here he's going to use Amalek, which we will see shortly how many times they appear in the Old Testament and they are always enemies of Israel. And yet God would bring them in there and to show that he is powerful. Again, he's got to always remind them that. And remember, they're babies. They need to know how powerful he is. The command is once again what? Trust and obey. That's where our victory's at. That's how we have victory. This is our victory, our faith. I think it's found in 1 John. Our faith. The faith that He has even given to us. That's where our victory is at. We already have the victory. We still have to march and... Uh, I'm proud to march in this army that God has put together. The army of God. Aren't you glad just to have the uniform? And march and sometimes go to battle. Let's look at verse 8. Here's the attack of the enemy. And we say there's more quarreling. You remember last week we looked at Israel and they were the ones who were quarreling. They were quarreling at Moses. Quarreling. This time it's the enemy that has a quarrel with them. In um, the other text, we we see that um, it was a little different as far as their thirst and hunger. Now... um, They get an attack from the rear. Unexpected. And I'll show shortly why I said that came from the rear. There's another passage dealing with this text here. It gives us a little more details. But this all happened after they have had a special blessing. They had water that came out of that great rock and it gave them streams and rivers of water that came out of the rock, and the rock represented Jesus Christ. What a special blessing, right? And sometimes you ever notice, just when you've been blessed, then all of a sudden staring you in the face is a battle, a trial. And there it is. The battles of life really are needed to help balance the blessings of life. Otherwise, if we just had nothing but blessings, constantly, just consistently, and it was always that way, well, we'd be in heaven. <laughs> and we are. That, that day will happen. We'll, no more trials. No more sin or anything. You know, We look to that. But in reality, we're here on this world. And here we are. So we have to have balance. Otherwise, we'll become complacent. We could become very comfortable. It's all easily get comfortable in situations, isn't it? We love that comfort. I must agree. I love to be comfortable and not having to go through difficult situations. And um, sometimes we become too confident in things. And the Lord has to remind us uh, who we are and that we need to trust Him. So we need to identify this enemy here. It says it's uh, Amalek. Uh, I'm sure all of you have heard of the Amalekites. You can't read through the Old Testament without hearing about the Malachites. Well, they were a nomadic people just going around all over the place. And they come upon the Israelites. And uh, to them, as far as they're concerned, hey, this is our territory. What are they doing here? Uh, They nomaded right into that area and they just took charge, right? Well, the Amalekites are the ones who are going to attack. And the Israelites are going to discover very early on that they have enemies. Well, we just got rid of Egypt. Isn't that it? Uh, There are a lot of people out there that don't like that. They've already heard about what has happened, probably. People who line up on the side of God actually will realize that God has enemies. And if God has enemies, what does that mean for His people? 
they will have enemies. Because we identify with Christ. We are Christians. His enemies become our enemies. And we must fight the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith, Paul told Timothy. We may not have literal wars and battles like this, but it sure shows us spiritually where we're in. But this is a historical, it happened. Uh, Amalekites, they can be found in several places. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go to chapter 36, just for starters. 36, verse 12. And we'll see somebody named here. Uh, this is uh, the family of Esau. He has studied Bibles. That's what it'll say. Chapter 36, and over that it'll say the family of Esau. Do you guys have that? <laughs> Maybe not. But anyway, it lists that. Here's the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. And you trace on down there, and we're not going to say all these names, okay? Is that okay with you? <laughs> uh, I'll spare us that. Verse 12, though. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek. So take note of that. Amalek is kin to Esau. Jacob, Esau. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. Okay. Now we're getting these sides lined up here, right? Okay. Verse 16. Same chapter there. Um, Here's the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, were chief Timon, chief Omar. That sounds Middle East, doesn't it? Chief Zepho, chief Kenaz, chief Korah, chief Gatam, and chief Amalek. These were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. They were the sons of Adah. Again, we get a little more. Let's go to Numbers chapter 13. Verse 29. And here it mentions them again. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. And they dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites. All those. Uh, these were enemies of Israel. Chapter 14, verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Verse 43. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Why? Because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. This is a, an invasion um, that they're going to try and it's going to be futile. They're not going to be able to beat them. They've not been depending upon the Lord. Wow. Uh, verse 45, Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelled in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So the presence of the Amalekites later on is one of the reasons why the Israelites doubt God when He says, move on into the land, because there's a little bit of history there. Even though today we look in our text in Exodus 17 and we see victory. But they had struggles with them where they didn't do very well later. They're Esau's descendants. Let's back up in Genesis 27 again. 27.41 This is about Jacob and Esau. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand then I will kill my brother Jacob. So goes the battle between Jacob and Esau. Or Israel and Esau. Or Edom. And a lot of the relatives. Do you get it? Okay, that's, that's some of what was going to happen. Go to Hebrews 12. And we'll see the writer of Hebrews. 
elaborate on this just a little bit. Hebrews 12, 16, and 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit... Oh, wait, 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 I'm going to back up to 16, I did 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Not a good guy, is he? Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau is profane. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob deceived him to get that. Not that he w- that was a good thing to do. God didn't make him do that. God already had a plan, but Jacob went ahead and did that. God used that situation to make it come out the way that God was going to anyway. But um, Jacob's on God's side because God is on Jacob's side. Anyway, are we getting a little bit of the idea of the enemy with the bloodline? Esau is profane. Profane means common or unhallowed, unholy. The common things were not to be put into the tabernacle or temple. They're unholy. He put holy things in there. He was outside of the chosen ones that God had. He is common, unhallowed. Esau lived for the world. Esau lived for the flesh. He was hungry at the moment, sold his birthright. Oh, but I didn't really mean that. He despised the things of God when he sold his birthright. He despised the spiritual things. So when we see uh, in the times here that's mentioned, the Amalekites are fighting God's people when we see that name. Very often. And they stand in the way of Israel. And they're the first of the nations to fight with Israel. Take note of that. This nation, which has now been born by God, they were kind of a nation, they were slaves, and now they are recognized as a group of people who are set free. And their first war is against these guys. And they kept it up and as we saw the Scriptures there, for many centuries, the Amalekites. So, there you have that bloodline. Let's look in Judges. It's just kind of interesting to study about these Amalekites. For God has a lot to say about them. You have uh, Joshua, and then you have Judges, right? And That was the days when there were no kings. They had no one really to really lead them, and God would raise up Judges, and then God would bless them and then they would disobey and then they'd have to bring on the enemies to remind them that He's God. Judges 3.13, it says, Then He gathered to Himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Psalms. So this was Moab that got together with Ammon and Amalek. Chapter 6, verse 3. This is where the Midianites are oppressing Israel and they get together with some people too. So the Midianites uh, make a lot of attacks on, uh, on Israel. So it was whenever Israel had sworn, Midianites would come up. I said sworn, sown. Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Soon as they would go out in the spring and plant all their crops, what would happen? Then would come the enemy and destroy all of their their crops. They'd come up uh, against them, destroy the produce of the earth. Wow, that was... And even their um, sheep and their ox and their donkeys, you know, the, their very livelihoods. Verse 33. So the Amalekites a lot of times would team up with other nations. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, 
gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. This is where God raises up Gideon. And Gideon destroys the altar of Baal. And you know, he uh, does a mighty work of, uh, that God has put into him. Get the valiant 300 men <laughs> that took on all of their warring soldiers. Chapter 7, verse 12. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. You remember that story, don't you? It's still this Gideon story. Chapter 10, verse 12. Also the Sidonians and Amalekites and Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet... You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go out and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Let them do it. I chose you, but you chose another god. Okay. Now, you know, the Amalekites are really not defeated until the time of Saul, the king, Imagine all the time of Moses and then Joshua and then the judges. Then you get to the kings. That's a long time. We're talking hundreds of years here. Uh, maybe four or five hundred years. That's as, as long as this nation has been around, hasn't it? Now, David had to finish the job later because Saul disobeyed God and what He was supposed to do. If you were to turn to 1 Samuel, for instance, after you have the judges, you have what? Samuel? get a lot of uh, history of uh, the Old Testament here, aren't we? 1 Samuel 15, you get uh, Saul rejected as king because Saul spared King Agag he was supposed to. Uh, there was a hacking of Agag, hacking Agag to pieces. Verse five. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. So there's the term Amalek. Now God had told him, verse three. Now go and attack Amalek. This was the prophet Samuel speaking to Saul. Samuel's getting God's word, and um, he's relaying that. And um, if you drop down to 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Well, what was he supposed to do? Destroy it all. Everything. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? He wanted to take some things for himself and for them. God told him to wipe it all out. Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord 
as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here we go, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And you go on, you know the story there. David was anointed king. I'm not going to read all the text because that would take us quite some time. But if you begin the first Samuel chapter thirty and then second Samuel eight, eleven and twelve, you kind of get the rest of the story there. David had to finish the job. He had to finish what God had set for him. They weren't in the essence destroyed till the time of Hezekiah, where you had a little touch of a remnant there. First Chronicles four forty three tells us that. Well, that is a little bit of the history of Amalek. Now, we've spent a lot of time here in Exodus 17, verse 1. And to get to two words, now Amalek, you'd wonder, how long, Dennis, are you going to do to get verse 16? Well, having that set up and knowing the enemy is very important. Do you know your enemy? Do you know your flesh? Do you know what the world likes to do? Do you know about Satan and what he likes to do? Do you know the enemy? You better know who they are, what they want to do, what they're accomplishing. Uh, In Deuteronomy, we'll turn to a little more history here. Deuteronomy 25, here's the strategy here of the Amalekites. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. And he's going back and telling them what happened. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? Now that's our text today, right? How he met you on the way, and here we go, attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear. When you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Remember what Amalek did to you. The enemy came from behind. You were least expecting the enemy The enemy comes in that way. Gets the stragglers that were kind of by themselves. The sheep off by themselves. They're not with the rest of the group so much. They're straggling behind. You know what I'm talking about? That's why sheep always need to be together and under the shepherd. (laughs) Because once they start straggling, they could get attacked very easy. And not even know it. Or certainly know it. I think there's a little bit of a spiritual warning. I don't want to read into that too much, but I think you guys see what's happening there, don't you? That's why people in the church meet together, stay in contact with each other, be praying for each other. We need to be together. That's why there's church. That's why there's Bible studies. That's why there's fellowships. Those are important times. Very important. I would say this probably could have been a preemptive strike. You know what a preemptive strike is. They are trying to get them before they think maybe the Israelites could get them. They have a lot of power. Let's get them. Let's get them from behind while they're not looking, right? So they think that Israel is a potential enemy here, and so maybe they're going to build up strength, and we need to get them while we can. Could the Israelites survive the threat of these desert dwellers? That's really all they are. The Amalekites, you know, they just move around from one place to another, nomadic. Can they survive this? These guys know this desert out here, right? Watch out. Well, they're struck from behind, and that's the weakest place in the camp. That's weak. So, we have to go over to the New Testament. Now we'll get a little bit of that uh, application for us. Ephesians chapter 6. Everybody probably should be familiar with this section. You need to realize that you're in battles all the time and sometimes you forget that it's going on. It says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong. And that's a passive tense there. It's kind of interesting. 
It's be strong in the Lord. We're only strong in Him. We are weak, but He is strong, right? Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So get that correctly understood. Don't go around fearing, you know, and, and oh, Satan's going to attack. He's going to do this, you know. And be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His power and in His might. I mean, I think that's pretty incredible there when we see those words. It's all about who God is. You know, we have a great captain. But he says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, that's a power word, able, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand in any kind of day that you have temptation, uh, whatever may come up against you. Um, You might be weak. Recognize that you are strong in His power. What are you putting on here? It's the armor of God. Well, what is that? Well, it's the person of Christ. Put on Christ. Realize who He is. And, of course, you go through the the pieces there. Stand there. We keep saying stand. It doesn't say start taking that sword and just wheeling it about just anything and everywhere. He is going to bring the sword in. But He says, first of all, stand. Don't be running. Don't be running from it. Stand. Having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul was saying, would you pray for me? Man, I'm in battles all the time. He says, for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly where the enemy's at to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He was right in the midst of the enemy constantly, wasn't he? When you take the gospel in to the people who need the gospel, they are against the Word of God. But there's going to be some there that are going to receive it. So Paul definitely wanted prayer about that. We must always watch and pray, shouldn't we? Be in prayer. Have that Word of God. Have yourselves you know, with that helmet on, knowing... Uh, that you are saved and you are in Christ and you know the truth, the Word of God, right? You gird yourself up with that. There's nothing outside uh, of truth. You want to keep that truth and righteousness, the righteousness that He has given, or His righteousness and such. Anyway, um, after there have been special blessings, the Lord can use attacks to keep us from trusting in the gifts. Sometimes we don't trust in the giver. We trust in the gifts that He's given us. Food. Water. Those are pretty good gifts, aren't they? They keep us alive. Shelter. All those things. All those things that we are given consistently. And we go out and shop for them, but God has given us these things. But we don't ever trust in them. You say, well, hey, I have a pretty good bank account. and Maybe that'll get me through. It's trusting in Him. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, that's out of a passage where it talks about the Israelites who passed through or baptized in Moses. right? And then we see many of them strewn out all across the desert because they really didn't trust God. So, you know what? We have done part one 
dealing with the attack of the enemy. Now, you want to read about the, uh, the victory? We know about the attack now. Do we ever have attacks? Can, can we identify with attacks? <laughs> Not T-A-X. <laughs> attacks. Attacks from the, <laughs> the enemy. <laughs> this is where Joshua comes into play now. Can you believe we've still been... We're still in verse 8. We're getting ready to move into 9 now. Can you believe that? There's no football games you guys want to see today, is there? <laughs> okay, verse 9. Uh, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. This is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. You know how important a role Joshua played? This is the first mention. He's going to be mentioned 200 more times. He was born in Egypt, just like the rest of these people here, right? He was named Hosea. Oh, I think it's spelled H-O-S-H-E-A. I've got it up here. Desire for salvation. We'll see that name in Numbers 13.8. Well, he's known as Joshua, and that means the Lord is salvation. Does that mean something? Names in the Bible really mean something. The Lord is salvation. What's his name? Joshua or Yahashua? Yeshua? Jesus. Savior. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is Savior. When you see that, ah, you know, like in Yahweh, Yahashua, Yah, that's the Lord. And then you get salvation in there. So this means a lot. It means a lot. He's a picture of Christ, the captain. The captain. Captain Joshua. Says uh, we're going to fight tomorrow. Wait a minute. Does Israel have an army yet? How long does it take to get an army together? They don't have an army. I mean, what are their weapons? What 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 are they going to do? Joshua says, "Okay," and he gets up this army. It's not like all the nation of Israel goes out there and fights, but he picks men. Some men they go out and fight with Amalek. Okay. Uh, I think Joshua has been wired for military leadership. Gets them together. He he does this battle. He wins. And I don't see anywhere where they had practiced before. Gone out to Fort Leonard Wood and maybe did a little bit of training. You know, do a little bit of National Guard activity on the weekend. Uh, I don't think they'd ever done any of that. Um, God seems to operate on the next day or tomorrow. Do you remember in the plagues how often He'd say, okay, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. So, and, and it always did. I mean, it was perfect right down to the timing. So there seems to be a connection here as He says, okay, Moses barks out the instructions to Joshua and I'm sure he was Josh, or Moses being led by God. Tomorrow, I'm going to stand on top of the hill. And you're going to go down there and fight them with that army. Joshua said, wait a minute, this sounds like a bad deal here. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, okay. Gets the people together. And you'll notice that Moses said, with the rod of God in my hand. I think there's something to be said. I think Joshua knows, oh, okay. As long as you got that rod, you know. Nothing magical in that, but it is representing the power of God. And we've seen that rod back in Egypt. We saw that rod at the crossing of the Red Sea. And he says, okay, hey, how about the rod other places already? Now he says, okay, I'm going to have it. A guy by the name of John Oswald said this, when God's power is at work and His blessing in play, God's agents succeed in His purposes. Read that again. When God's power is working 
And his blessing is in play. It's, it's there. God's agents who carry that out, what he's got planned, succeed in his purposes. So when we do what he says to do, even though this just doesn't seem like the right thing to do, well, we have no army. What are we going to do? Joshua doesn't do that. Just doesn't. Now, he's got this rod. He's going to have to hold this up. Now, you know, for five minutes, that's not too bad. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. It's really going to kind of start getting difficult. An hour goes by. A couple hours. Can you imagine continuing? Have you ever had your arm up like that without it being tied to something? Well, he's going to, he's holding that up. That's, that's what he says. I'm going to do this. And... Uh, Joshua's doing as Moses said, and he's fighting out there. And Aaron and her are there too. And these guys um, are there. God is really kind of giving us, I think, a good symbol here of intercession. Moses is, you know, their leader, and there he is. Uh, it's dealing with the dependence on the power of God. When we see up there that Moses is doing it, that reminds us of his power. We're just trusting in God here. We're doing what we're supposed to do, but he's the one that's going to give us victory. So, you know, Moses is confessing his dependence upon this authority and the power of God, and that just spreads to all the rest of the people. And boy, that would be very encouraging to see that rod up there, wouldn't it? That staff. Moses doesn't have the power. It's not the staff that has the power. It's God who has the power. This is God's battle. This is God's power. So when Moses holds it up, they prevail. When he got tired, he put it down. Oh my goodness. We're getting beat all of a sudden. <sighs> it it kind of makes you think of intercessory prayer. I don't want to um, you know, press that issue. But I think it's fair to put it in there. I definitely, I know Moses has got to be praying to God this whole time anyway. True intercession is very demanding. It is hard work to pray, to pray for people, and to keep it up. Because you know, there, are, there are things that want to take our time up. And there's thoughts that come in our mind. And there's other things we have to do, you know, and... It's talking about focusing our total attention on the Lord. We're interceding. And to pray without ceasing, right? Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Keep it up. So this is spiritual work. This is harder than reading and studying the Word of God. I must confess, prayer is very hard to stay with it. It can be very tiring. Prayer has been called the gymnasium of the soul. You know the gymnasium? You know what that's about? Gymnasium is about working out. Working hard. Being disciplined. When you go to the gym, you got to work. you got to work hard. you got to sweat. you got to keep it up. Because you paid money for that at the Y. <laughs> I don't feel like it, but I got to use this. I got to use my time. <laughs> but anyway, I think we have to put our full heart into intercessory prayer. And I just, with the Word of God, I just stab myself and everybody in here <laughs> because we don't work hard enough at prayer, do we? We have to be consistently being reminded. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying for the saints, brothers and sisters. Pray for everybody in here. Wow. That's a, I think that's a good lesson to, to remember. Now, what about Aaron and her? Aaron and her. And it's not Ben her, just in case you're wondering. Ben comes along later. That's the son of her. Right? Ben. That's what Ben means. Okay. Aaron is the brother of Moses, and her is the son of Caleb. Oh, yeah. Later on, we'll meet Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. They are the two that can go into the land that we're going way back when. Ah. This is a way that God delegates authority to ministers. You have 
Moses. Now you have Captain Joshua. And now we have Aaron. And of course, he's been a big help in a ministry to uh, Moses the whole time. And, and her comes into play. God uses human agents to accomplish His purpose. And He doesn't have to. And sometimes we wonder why would He bother to use insignificant meat? <laughs> you ever thought of that? Why would He bother to use us? He can get done whatever He wants to do. That's the way that He wanted to do it. That's the means to the ends. He uses us. So, He wants to get His will done. He uses the church. I think it's a tremendous privilege that God would use us to get His will done and all the things in the kingdom. And he's, today, who's He using? He's using the church, the body of Christ. We were called into a fellowship, a partnership. Moses needs help this day. And when we get into chapter 18, he's going to be told that he needs more help. That's when his father-in-law gives him some very good advice. Moses is leading two million people. Him and Aaron have been doing these things, but now Aaron and her are going to help him keep his hands up. This is a team effort. You know, this is a fellowship doing this. He he can't do it by himself. This is the way the body of Christ has to work. We are members of one another. We have gifts that God has given us. We're all different, and God uses those. And when that gift and that member is not with us, then we hurt. So we need each other. The song by Sanctus Real called. We need each other. They're saying a lot there. I think this had to be just tremendous encouragement to the people. Because whenever it seemed like they might start getting down, boy, this is this is rough and hard, they look up there and up on that hill and they see Joshua. I mean, they see Joshua fighting. They look up there and see Moses up there with the uh, that symbol of God's power. And they see Aaron and her up there too. And they know that they're taking this thing all the way and they're going to have victory. So, quite the encouragement. Isn't it good to have that? To know our victory. Christ. He's Joshua. Christ is the captain of our souls. Christ is the captain of our salvation. And Christ is an intercessor. Joshua did the battling. He's the captain. And there you have Moses interceding. Christ still does that today for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He already did... He did it on the cross, but He continues it even now in heaven as He sits at the throne of the Father. Hmm. Victory came to them. Now, there were soldiers out there who hadn't been trained, ill-armed. They've been apt to murmur and complain. Yet by them, God works this tremendous victory on a, a, a country that attacks them. You know this verse? Weapons formed against God's people will not prosper. Ha. God, God promises victory here. You just do what He says. Now, later on, they go to battle without God's command, without God's warning, and what happens? They get beat. They went and did what they thought ought to be to do. The only thing is they weren't relying on Him. The sword of the Spirit. sword of the Spirit. The battle is always the Lord's. He, we go to the captain. He tells us what to do. We say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. And we go and then do it in His power. But the battle is the Lord's. We just report to Him. We don't... We don't have to start taking the battle on our own. We just go right to the battle, or to the the, the ones who are commanding this battle, and uh, let him tell us what to do. Now we get into verse fourteen through sixteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven." 
Moses built an altar, called its name, The Lord is my banner, for he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, they don't blot them out totally here. They don't blot them out later on. But God will do that. And finally, at the, the time of David and, and Hezekiah. But you have here the Lord speaking to Moses, and he, he's saying, Write this for a memorial. Write this down. Did you take note of that? Write this. You know, Moses is the one who wrote the Pentateuch. Almost all of it. There are some, obviously, where uh, he had died and somebody had to finish it off, but Moses is given credit for that. Moses is the writer. Here he's writing something down here, and when we get to chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments, we'll see the Ten Commandments are written by the Lord, but it's from, you know, Moses. And he records all of this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we get the first five books of the law. But um, Moses writes down for all for a reason to remember. Does that sound familiar? Has God operated that like that before, where He would have them remember? Gives them something visually to remember. Remember what happened here. The memory of the Amalekites one day would be erased. This whole idea, this battle here, we, we see that uh, this is a picture of uh, eventually they'll be uh, eventually exterminated. So God takes this oath. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek. And He says, this is what I'm going to do. And He didn't want the memory of this event, though, to ever perish. The Amalekites will perish, but the memory is not ever to do that. And here we are reading it 3,500 years later. We're, we're remembering this. Isn't that amazing? God's people still remember these things. They have to be written down, though. Otherwise, they would have been lost. It's not just tradition, is it? Traditions will get lost. But what are the traditions? Well, uh, uh, I don't know. Somebody surely has. <laughs> they don't know. Nobody knows the traditions. You know, they have some, just historical writings and such. I, speaking of the Catholic Church, you know, they'll go by traditions and the Word of God. And you, you really try to pin them down what the traditions are. And most, I'd say, huge percentage in the 90 percentile would say, well, um, the church. Church are the traditions. What are those? I don't know. It's just something we're supposed to do. Well, what are they? I don't know. <laughs> Write it down. It's important, isn't it? The Word of God. We have written down. Look at Numbers 21, 14. We have the authority of the Word of God and you can be assured that everything that we read is absolute truth. Otherwise, why would we even be here? We could be making this up, couldn't we? But we're not. It's all right here. Look at this. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahab in Suphah, the brooks of the Arnon, and the slope of the brooks that reaches into the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. And uh, you read on down, you get uh, a bunch of names and such. But what, what we're talking about there is, here's another writing. Uh, the book of the wars of the Lord. Some kind of book of, of victory songs, maybe. Because there are a couple of uh, verses here listed here in 15 and, and 18. Verse 15 and 18. Uh, probably written by Moses. Could have been by somebody else that was alongside him there. But it's talking about the work of God. And it even names places where that was at. To remember. Okay, uh, what about this altar? In Exodus 17. Moses built an altar. Called its name, the Lord is my banner. There's another name for God. We're seeing names of God as we go through the Old Testament. He's revealing Himself more. The names are really about who He is, what He does. Names of God means, how about Yahweh? We sing that song, right? Yahweh. Dealing with the great covenant God, the self-existent one, 
I am is really what that's dealing with. You can think of Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. How about the Lord is our righteousness? Have you seen that one before? Jehovah Tzedkenu. That's revealing attributes and who He is and what He's about. It's revealing His authority. So every time when you read in Scripture, when He names Himself as the Lord with the capital letters, you say, oh yeah, that's that Yahweh covenant God. Or here it is now, this is the God that is my banner. And in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Nisi. Yeah. N-I-S-S-I. He is my banner. God is the standard for His people. He's my banner. Look, this is my victor. He builds an altar, Moses does. Because that means I'm giving glory to God on this. This altar is all about Him. And we're naming this, the Lord is my banner. God helped His people another time. He has not failed. He will not fail. Never will He fail. Moses just wants to praise His name for what He did. And that's why we praise God. Here's what God has done. Here's who God is. The best thing I can do is give thanks. Give praise. Right? Remember Him. How else can we pay back? We can't. But we can sure give Him praise. And that's what Moses does here. And this is commemorated for future generations. So the Israelites couldn't boast about this, about being their own strength, but it was glory in God alone. Look in Exodus 24, 4. I think you have another altar dealing uh, with that section. 24, 4. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. The Ten Commandments are given and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So there is an altar. And then after that you get burnt offerings and peace offerings, sacrifices, blood of the covenants being involved there. Moses is recognizing that this is what we do. We worship God. They were worshiping there at uh, Mount Sinai. The altar is his first here. That's built here in Rephidim. This is the first altar that Moses built. Altars are important. And they're going to show up all the way throughout Exodus. God was here. Look what God did. God was here. Look what God did. God was here. Look what God did. All over, everywhere they went, God is here. The Lord is my banner. Military term. He's the call to arms. He is the one. Well, look at this this total ruin that's stated here. The Lord will have war. The Lord will have war. The Lord will have war with Amalek. From generation to generation. God is going to contend with this evil, wicked nation. Israel was to look upon the Amalekites as enemies who were not going to be reconciled. Now, we can't ever look at people and know that God can't reconcile them. They might be enemies of us, or we might have the flesh as the enemy, or you know, the worldly things that are always warring at us and tugging at us. But those things that are against God, God will never reconcile. And they are doomed to ruin. Amalek is doomed to ruin. You know, whoever takes on the Lord in war doesn't recognize that the Lamb will always overcome. (laughs) Because His people look like sheep. And (laughs) they can't imagine that we're really worth much anything. But the fact of the matter is, is the Lamb will always win. He overcomes. This is our victory, our faith. Now what we have here is a, you know, this this has kind of a, been a dilemma, a final dilemma. We've had the test and here we have the battle. 
which God has to deliver his people before they arrive at Mount Sinai. This is all a preparation because that is a place where you cannot forget either. So these people are starting to get a big picture of who God is and uh, what he does, what he's about, what he expects of his people. They're getting that idea of what he's going to do when he gets to Mount Sinai, chapter 19. He's going to start revealing his holiness. Not that he hasn't in a way yet, but that's going to be the biggest way that they've seen yet when he gives the law. When you truly see the transcendence of God, the soul set apartness, it's when you cry out to Him. And so they need to see this law. We need to remember that. We need to remember that the devil is our enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says he walks about roaring like a lion. Seeking someone to devour. Still happens. He uses the world. He uses the flesh to oppose us. Ephesians 2, 1-3. Look what He was doing before He drew us to Him. Look, look, look what we were doing. And you, He made alive. We came to life. He did that. What were we? We were dead. Well, cannot respond to spiritual things. But He made us alive. We were dead because we were in trespasses and sins. The Israelites sure were sinners, weren't they? Look at us. In which you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once, according ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. Do you like those two words? Who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. We didn't want Him. We were enemies of Him. Just like the Amalekites. Just like the Egyptians. Just like the Israelites and all the other ites. We are those ites. The Americanites. Whatever. Look what we were. We were dead. But He made us alive. His action, not ours. He brought us to life. He regenerated us. And I like this. By grace you have been saved. That means nothing there that you could add. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, it's about His glory. This is where it's all pointing to. Why? That He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then that all-famous great verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. He gave us faith. It was by grace. And that not of yourselves. Just get yourself out of the way. You didn't do it. You don't have anything to boast about. Yeah, but I said yes. I said yes to God when you were saved a sinner, an evil, wicked sinner who was an enemy, who was dead, and you said yes? Not until you're regenerated. Not until He made you alive. Why did you say yes? That's the whole point. The reason you said yes is because He came in and regenerated you and delivered you from your bondage, your depravity. And He put you in place. That's why these are so important as we look back at Him. It's not of any kind of works, right? It's the gift of God. Salvation. He delivered us from the present evil age. Galatians 1, 3-4. The present evil age. 
Yeah, there's a lot of craziness going on out there, isn't there? He delivered us from that. We're beyond that. The victory of Christ. We're to renounce the things of the flesh. We're to renounce the attacks of the devil. We're to renounce the world. Trusting in His promises, what He's done. We need to know this, that God fights for His people. We are the apple of His eye. The very delicate part of your eyeball that is so sensitive. And yet, He cares for that so much. We're the very apple of His eye and He will defeat all of our enemies. He is the protector. Have we seen that in the three deliverances of water and food and water and now the battle? Let's pray.